Well, good morning. You can have a seat. At this time, the children can be dismissed for Children's Church. If you turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 29, won't be on the screen today, but uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you to follow along. Uh, we all stand under the authority of God's Word. This isn't a time for me just to share my opinions or thoughts about life. I don't really have that many opinions or thoughts about life, but to share God's Word. And it's your responsibility, all of our responsibility, to look at God's Word. And if something I'm saying is correct, then we ask ourselves the question, what should I do about it? And if it's not correct, then to ask me about it. Say, is this really in line with God's Word? So we're looking at Genesis chapter 9, starting at verse 31 today. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son, and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. She conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf so that even I may have children through her. So, that she, so she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Will you also take away my son's mandrakes? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came up from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah She conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Leah conceived again and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, 
May the Lord add to me another son. There are two primary psychological needs that we all have, whether we're old or young, whether we're rich or poor, black or white, educated or uneducated. No matter who we are, we have two fundamental psychological needs. And those needs are to be loved or to be liked and to be accepted and to be significant. To be loved and to be accepted to be significant. And these themes of being loved and being significant are themes that kind of permeate our stories that we tell. I mean, you think about the movies that are shown in the cinema, and a good percentage of them revolve around these themes. For example, in some movies you have a a person who is neither loved or significant, and the story is about how they become loved, they find love, and they become somebody, become significant. There's other stories where somebody maybe is significant, and the kind of the prototypical story is a person who, you know, is a business executive and drives a, drives a beautiful car and has this great job, but he or she doesn't have love. And so the story is about how they go through life and they find love. And then you have other stories about a person who's loved. You know, they have a strong friends or, or family, but they're insignificant. They're just ordinary people, and the story is about how they do something extraordinary, something really special. And we see these themes permeating this passage we're looking at today. On the one hand, we have one character who is unloved, Leah. She's unloved, but she's significant. She has a number of children. Then we see another character, Rachel, who is loved, but she lacks significance. And we see that each one of them is longing for what the other person has. And through this story, we see how they try to fill those needs that they have. We see this portrayed in the first first verse that we looked at today where it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah was unloved. The text says that she was hated. It doesn't mean that... Jacob, you know, wished harm upon Leah, but she was unloved. Remember the story of how uh, Leah became Jacob's husband. Jacob fell in love with Rachel, and so he worked for seven years to have uh, Rachel's hand in marriage. And then somehow, on the wedding day, Leah became his bride. We don't know exactly how that happened. Maybe she was wearing a a veil. Uh, Maybe he had too much to drink. We don't know exactly what happened, but he wakes up the day after his wedding, and it's Leah in his bed, not Rachel. So Leah was really unwanted. She was unloved. She was an accessory, and just she was kind of snuck into this wedding ceremony. And so God sees that, and so Leah, her womb was open, and so she's able to have a number of children. In that day and age, uh, having children was kind of the crown jewel of a woman's life. That was kind of the focal point of a woman's life was having children. And so she's blessed with children. So in that day, she would have been considered to be significant. Now Leah, uh, or Rachel on the other hand, she was loved, clearly. I mean, Jacob worked seven years for her. And then after he found out that Leah became his bride, he worked another seven years. So he worked for 14 years to have Rachel's hand in marriage. And as we look at this story how uh, Jacob kind of goes along with everything that Rachel says for the most part, you can tell that, that Jacob truly, sincerely loved Rachel. But she didn't have any 
children. And so in that day and age, she would have felt insignificant. Felt like she was under a curse. That she was under a scourge. And so both of these ladies feel deficient in different and opposite ways. And they try to meet these different needs that they have in different ways. At first, we need to look at Leah. Now, Leah hopes to have children. And apart from the kind of natural desire for a woman to have a child... She wanted to have children so that Jacob would love her. She felt that significance equaled love. And she thought that it's, if, Jacob, if she had children with Jacob, then Jacob would automatically love her. It's kind of naive when you think about it, especially you know, if you're here, if you've uh, been divorced and had a child with someone, you know that having children with someone doesn't necessarily mean that they will love you. But she's desperate for love. And des- people who are desperate for love take desperate and drastic measures. And so she has her first son, and Leah says, Finally, God has heard my cry. He has seen my misery. Now my husband will love me. But then she has the child. It doesn't happen. She has a second child. Still, Jacob doesn't love her. She has a third child, and she says, Now that I've had three children, maybe he will be attached to me. Maybe he will love me. But still, Jacob doesn't love Leah. She, she, she was fighting a losing battle. Leah would never be Rachel for Jacob. She was, wasn't as attractive as, as Rachel, the text tells us. And Rachel was, Jacob just loved Rachel so much, and there was a special place in his heart for Rachel that Leah would never uh, be in. So never be Rachel. But she holds out hope. And she's desperate for that love and that acceptance. People who are desperate for love will do desperate things. Some of us here, maybe we're a little bit like Leah. Uh, we, we feel like significance will equal love, that if we accomplish a lot, that if we have a lot of money or if we have a high position, then that will make people love us and people accept us. Desperate people... People who are desperate for love do desperate things. Other people will compromise their values so that somebody else will love them or accept them. Maybe that means uh, giving ourselves to someone sexually before marriage so that that person will love us and accept us. Maybe it means you know, going along with uh, unethical business deals so that people will accept us. Maybe it means that accepting abuse so that we'll feel accepted. People who are desperate for love will do desperate things that take drastic measures. Leah is so desperate for love, it's almost pitiful as we see her trying to have child after child to earn Jacob's favor. After her, the birth of her fourth child, it seems like she's gotten over it. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. We think that she's moved on from this goal of having Jacob love her. But still, she longs for a relationship with her husband. Even after having her sixth and final child, she says, now maybe my husband will honor me. She had given up the hope of him loving her. She says, now maybe my husband will honor me. But what's sad about Leah's story is she never gets the love that she's looking for. But while she never gets the love that she's looking for, she gets the love that she needs. She never gets the love that she's looking for, but she gets the love that she needs. 
See, while Leah was unloved by her husband, she was loved by God. It tells us that in this first verse that we looked at, God saw that Leah was unloved, and so he opened her womb. He chose to bless her. It says after the birth of her fifth child that God listened to her. God heard her. And God ironically chose to bless Leah much more than he chose to bless Rachel. Leah had six children. Rachel only had two. And ironically, after the birth of her fourth son, when she said, this time I will praise the Lord, it would be through that child, through Judah, that the Messiah would come. That Leah would have the supreme privilege of being the one through whom the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come. It's an esteemed privilege. God loved her even though her husband did not love her. She didn't find the love that she was looking for, but she found the love that she needed. The same thing is true for us today. We might never find the love that we're looking for as believers, but we get to have the love that we need. I wish I could tell you that we'll always find the love that we're looking for. Some of us maybe are looking for a romantic kind of love. We're looking for a spouse. I can't guarantee that you'll find a spouse. And if you do find a spouse, I can't guarantee that you'll find the love that you're looking for. Some of us are looking for restoration in a relationship, whether that's with a, uh, an ex-spouse or a parent where the relationship is estranged or with a brother and sister. And we're hoping that we have that love restored. And hopefully that happens for you, but we can't guarantee that that will happen. Others of us are looking for friends that understand us, that care about us, that accept us for who we are. Hopefully we'll find that kind of love, but there's no guarantee that we will. Well, there's no guarantee we'll find the kind of love that we're looking for, but we get to have the love that we need. We get the love of a God who came down to the earth in Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life and died on the cross, experiencing hell so that we might have a relationship with Him, and three days later rising again from the grave. We get the love of a Father of whom Jesus says, if God clothes the flowers of the field, and if God feeds the birds of the air, do you really have anything that you need to worry about? We get the love of a Father of whom Jesus said, if God If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who love Him? And in another passage, he says he'll give the Holy Spirit to those who love Him. We get the love of a Father who's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. We get the love of a Father who forgives us from our sin, that no matter how far we've strayed from Him, when we turn to Him, He rescues us and forgives us from our sins and gives us a new hope, a new purpose, a new identity. We get a love of a God who's all-powerful, who's never-changing, who's unfailing, a God who cares for the oppressed, who guides the weak, who cares for those who are hurting, who will never give up on us and who will never leave us and who will never forsake us. That's the kind of love that maybe we weren't looking for, but that's the kind of love that we need today. We might never get the love that we're looking for, but we get the love that we need. This time we're going to take a break in our service. Joel's going to come up and we're going to just take a moment to praise the Lord, to praise the indescribable God, the God who sees the depths of our hearts and still He chooses to love us just the same. So we looked at Leah's story and look at, looked at her kind of search for love. Now we need to look at Rachel's story. 
Rachel also wants to have children, but she wants to have children for a different reason. She wants to have children out of envy or rivalry. It says in the text that she envied her sister. She's getting all the blessing. Leah's getting all the blessing, all the attention. And Rachel says, I want some of the attention. She's loved, but she feels like she's insignificant because in that culture, uh, having a child for a woman was so significant and such a central part of life. And so she's grasping for significance, and she does that through three different ways. She grasps for significance through a substitute, through a surrogate, and through a strategy. A substitute, a surrogate, and a strategy. First, she goes through a substitute. She goes to her husband and she says, Give me children or I'm going to die. Now consider the audacity of that statement. First of all, she doesn't say, Give me a child. She says, Give me children. Because she wants to be like Leah. Leah has had three children up to this point. And she says, Give me children. It's also audacious that she would ask Jacob for this to happen. Obviously, Jacob has had children with Leah, so the problem isn't with Jacob, it's with Rachel. But she comes to Jacob and asks, give me children or I'm going to die. And Jacob is rightfully angry. He says, am I in the place of God? Can I open and close your womb? Do I have that kind of power? See, Rachel's looking for a substitute. She's going to Jacob and asking him to do something that only God can do. How often do we do that? Sometimes when we're facing a difficulty, the first thing we'll do is we'll go and ask another person. We'll read a book or read something on the internet. And sometimes we forget to do the thing that's most important. We forget to ask the person who actually could change the circumstance, God himself. We often go to substitutes rather than going to God. Sometimes a prayer is our last resort rather than our first response. So she goes to a substitute. Then she goes to a surrogate. She comes up with an idea because God has not given her what she wants. And she says, I have an idea. How about my maidservant goes and sleeps with you, Jacob, and then I'll have children through her. The text says "May I ha- that I may have children through her, that word for have children literally means built up. In other words, she says that I might be built up through her, that I might have a name and a heritage for myself through this maidservant. She's looking for a surrogate. And then there's an interesting phrase that she says here. An interesting phrase. She says, with mighty wrestlings, in verse uh, 8, Rachel says, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. With mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. Well, there's a few things that are interesting about this statement. The first is she hasn't prevailed. She's only had two children through a maidservant, and Leah has had three children of her own, so she hasn't really prevailed over her sister. And the second thing is this phrase, Uh, mighty wrestlings. It's a very interesting and very unique phrase. It could mean what it says here uh, as translated mighty wrestlings. And we can't be completely sure what it meant. But the uh, the word that's translated as mighty wrestlings is literally the wrestlings of Elohim or the wrestlings of God. The wrestlings of God. With the wrestlings of God I have prevailed against, I've wrestled with my sister and have prevail. What are some possible things that this could mean? 
It could mean that her energy and her strength was so great that it was with the power and strength of God almost. If that's the case, it's almost like she was trying to be God herself. With the wrestlings of God, I have prevailed against my sister. She's taking things into her own hands, taking control. Another possibility of what it could mean, the wrestlings of God could mean that she is wrestling with God. That God hasn't given her what she wanted in her timing. And so she's trying to force God's hand. Trying to get Him to do what she wants Him to do. And so she turns to a surrogate. A surrogate to bear children for her. Sometimes I think we do the same thing. If God doesn't come through for us the way that we think that He should, if He doesn't fulfill our dreams, so to speak, we go to other avenues to satisfy us. Maybe we turn to an addiction, to drugs or alcohol or to food or sex. Or maybe we just bury ourselves in our work and say, since God is not satisfying me, I'm going to fulfill myself by my work. Or maybe we do the same thing with our family. Since God is not satisfying me, I'm going to find every ounce of joy that I can in my family. Or maybe it's stuff. God, you feel like God has let you down and so you try to find joy in stuff. We have this tendency to turn towards surrogates just like Rachel did. So she turns to a substitute, a surrogate, and then she has a strategy. Leah's son, oldest son Reuben, is out in the field and he finds mandrakes. Now it's believed that these mandrakes, uh, most likely they believe that they had some kind of uh, fertility enhancing powers, that they could potentially make a woman who was barren have children. And so they come up with this deal. Rachel comes up with this deal. Uh, how about I allow you to sleep with my husband, Jacob, and in return you'll give me some of your mandrakes. And so this happens, this deal happens, and it backfires for Rachel. Because Leah sleeps with Jacob and she's pregnant again. Rachel takes the mandrakes and still she's not pregnant. She doesn't become pregnant for years after that. Her strategy has backfired. And while there's nothing wrong with having strategies, it seems that Rachel is trying to take things into her own hands rather than trusting in God's perfect plan. If she would only just wait. She'd only just wait upon God's timing for God to act. Eventually, after Leah had had her final child, God would remember Rachel. God would hear her, and God opened her womb and gave her a child whose name was Joseph. But just like with Leah, Rachel never got the significance that she was looking for. She never had as many children as Leah. Leah had the child through whom the Messiah would come. She never achieved what she wanted to. She was never as significant as she wanted to be. And ultimately, after having a second child, that would be her last as she died in childbirth having Benjamin. Yet while she never got the significance that she was looking for, she did get the significance that she needed. See, God hadn't forgotten about Rachel. He loved Leah and he loved Rachel just the same. And he had a different plan for Rachel than he did for Leah. If only Rachel would wait patiently for the plan that God had for her. 
See, when Rachel did have a child, she had Joseph. And as we'll look at in a few weeks at the story of Joseph, Joseph was elevated to the role of second in command in Egypt. And through his foresight and the work of God in his life, he was able to save his whole family from a famine as they prepared for a famine that was coming. And humanly speaking, humanly speaking, without Joseph, potentially the Messiah would not have come. Of course, God would find a way otherwise. But without Joseph, the whole family could have potentially died. So Rachel had a very significant child. She had significance. Through her son, God would use her son to save the whole family, to save the whole people of Israel. She had significance, but it was a different significance than Leah had. And it was all in God's timing and God's planning. It was a significance that wasn't based upon her efforts and her strength. It was based upon God's timing and God's perfect plan. Sometimes we have a similar struggle that Rachel had. Sometimes we play the kind of comparison game. See, what happened with Rachel was she sees Leah being blessed. She sees God's plan for Leah, and she thinks to herself, God has forgotten about me. God doesn't really have a plan for me. If he had a plan for me, he would bless me like he's blessed Leah. Sometimes we do that. We see other people being blessed. And we think to ourselves, God has forgotten about me. That other person, maybe they're not even a believer and everything's going well for them, but I'm following after God and I'm struggling. I'm struggling to pay the bills. I'm struggling in my marriage. But I'm doing everything that I can to follow after God. And we say, has God forgotten about me? But God is faithful. He has a plan for all of us, a plan that's good and perfect Romans, it says that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared good works for us as believers. If you're a believer in Jesus, God has a plan for you. A plan to give you a life of significance, a life of meaning. Now that might mean being the next Billy Graham. Who knows? But it might also mean being a loving and godly father, godly mother, a godly friend, a godly witness for the gospel. We might not get the significance that we're looking for, but we get the significance that we need. The significance that's found in a relationship with God and fulfilling His plan for our lives. See, it's not about how much we do for God. It's about doing whatever He has for us and doing it faithfully. It's about being faithful to God and making Him happy. Pleasing our perfect Heavenly Father with whatever He has for us because He has good plans for us. He's prepared good works for us. And all our, our job is just to make Him proud. To fulfill and be faithful to what He has called us to do. Ignatius of Loyola once said this, Teach us, Lord, to serve You as You deserve. To give and not to count the cost. To fight and not heed the wounds. To toil and not seek for rest. To labor and to not ask for any reward. Save that of knowing that we do Your will. 
Tim Keller in his book on prayer gives an illustration that I think is helpful uh, to illustrate uh, the point of this passage. She says, imagine you have a little child, eight-year-old child, and he's playing with a toy. And as he's playing with the toy, the toy breaks. And so he starts crying uncontrollably. And then you go up to the child and say, I've got good news for you. I just got off the phone. I've received news that you have this relative that you've never met before, you don't know about, and this person was a millionaire, and he's left you an inheritance of $100 million. And what would the child do? He probably would still keep crying because he, had, he didn't know the significance of what $100 million meant. He didn't know that $100 million could buy millions and millions and millions of toys. I think the same thing happens with us in life. We're going about in our lives and God doesn't act in the way that we think that He should. We're like, it's broken. It's broken. And God comes to us and He says, I've got better plans for you, but then we keep saying, it's broken. It's broken. If only we would trust Him. If only we would know that He has plans for us that are beyond what we could ever imagine. Beyond what we could ever dream. We might never get the significance that we're looking for, but we get the significance that we need. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you give us the love that we need most dearly, the love that's found in a perfect relationship with you. God, I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't have a relationship with you, that today would be the day that they turn from their sins and trust in you for forever, for forgiveness of sins. God, I pray for those here today who are maybe struggling with that question of significance. Maybe there's some here who maybe feel like God has forgotten about them. God, I pray that they would have the faith and courage, that you would encourage them today through your Holy Spirit to know that you have plans for them, that you've prepared for them a plan, that you've prepared for them good works, a life of significance, a life of following you in relationship and perfect obedience. God, we just thank you for your love for us. And we just thank you for allowing us to be a part of your plan, even though you don't need us, even though you could do it all on your own. We thank you that you give us lives of significance that make a difference. God, I pray that we'd be faithful in doing whatever you've called us to do. In Christ's name I pray, amen.